0: Hello, and welcome to the Elrond Hubbard Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. Today, we have a very special guest, Diane Dillon. She's been a judge for the Illustrators of the Future contest since 1998. And I've actually never met her before in person. I've, we've spoken over the phone and, uh, I've very much admired your work quite a bit. And, uh, we almost met in New York once at a book expo a few years ago, but anyway, welcome Diane.
1: Well, thank you. I'm happy to
0: be here. I think one of the, the um, most amazing quotes, which is one that's on our com website, um, where it's listed you and, and your uh, uh, husband, Leo, as a judge, where you have this quote, dream the dream, aim for the best you can do, and make the next job better than your last. I think that's a, that's a really good mantra to have and something that I think would be very good for aspiring artists too that are never finishing a, a job because they want to be perfect and never realizing you just keep on getting better and better. So how did you arrive at that as, as your mantra or as, as your way of life with art?
1: Oh, well, I think just through experience and realizing that um, we learned everything sort of the hard way. And um, over the years, we learned what was really important and uh, and to focus on perfecting the work and uh, making it the best we could make. Uh, when we were teaching, we told young people always to use the best materials, too.
0: Oh, so like, explain that a little bit, like when you mean the best materials.
1: Okay, all right. Well, then <clears throat> the important thing with artists is to uh, really understand what they're doing and to know that their work has value maybe in the future. If they've been working and building a name, that in the future their artwork has a value. And we always felt that it was important to tell students to always use the best materials. Uh, You know, it's very important that the, the work... It should have a uh, value at some time in their life, and, and uh, we we gave away our work. We didn't think it had any value when we started out, and we didn't even ask for it back when we did a piece for the first 14 years of our career. So we realized that we should cherish our work and take it seriously and have a professional frame of mind, even though you don't have the confidence, you can have an attitude toward your work and that it's, uh, that you are a professional, your name is on the piece, it represents you, and you want it to be the very best it can be.
2: That's
0: make a lot of sense, and that's something that I've observed that artists, until they get that recognition, have a difficult time considering that what they're doing is valuable. And I think that's really important that you've got to take that attitude that your work is valuable.
1: Right. And a good example is Wally Wood. He was a good friend of ours. Uh, we met him when we first were married in, in 57 and his work has great value now, but she had no idea at the time, nor did, did Tatiana, who was his wife. And, um, You know, now she's shocked at prices. That's where gets.
0: Yeah. So, how did you become an artist as a profession to begin with?
1: Um, I think Leo and I both always wanted to be an artist, and we drew a lot when we were young kids. And um, we grew up in you know the '40s and '50s. By the time we became teenagers. We had really no idea what a career in art would be. We didn't know what was available. It was before TV or any digital world. And um, so we didn't know exactly what that meant. But uh, we knew that we wanted to do something in the art field. I think that for Leo, it was a little more difficult for him because being an African American he wasn't as encouraged. His parents felt that he wouldn't be able to make a good living being an illustrator. Right. Whereas I, I was um, kind of encouraged because at that time as a young girl I was going to get married and have babies. It was after the World War Two and women had gone out and worked in factories, but after the war, there was a big campaign to get women back into the house again, and so it wasn't thought that I would have a career as a woman. I would probably get married, and my father, even whom I loved dearly, and he, I knew he loved me, but... He told me once as a teenager that if uh, he couldn't afford to send us both to college, that he would really have to send my brother because he would have to take care of the family. And I, I would be married and have someone take care of me. So that was the thinking back in those days. Well, I guess that's enough for that.
0: <laughs> yes, but that was, that was the thought process and you had, that's what you had to deal with. In order to be able to to grow and build a, a career and a reputation as an artist, now what was the type right. of what was the type of art that you uh, that you liked to do? Because obviously it was pre uh, computer, pre Photoshop, and and what so many people use now. So what were your favorite forms?
1: Well, originally when I went to City College in L.A. I thought I wanted to be a fashion designer. My aunt was a head fitter at RKO Studios who gave me patches of cloth, and I had a scrapbook with uh, different uh, pieces of cloth that came from costumes that she had made for the actors' practices. Uh, so I was influenced by that, but when I finally got into um, City College, I realized that I didn't like that as much as I thought, and so I went for advertising. And when Leo and I met at Parsons, we both were interested more in magazine work and advertising. That, that, was, that was what was kind of sexy at the time. Yeah. And, and uh, the magazine at, at that time, too, it was in the 50s. The artists were actually stars. These magazine illustrators were, you know, Norman Rockwell and Kobe Whitmore, John Whitman. They were stars in their own right, and there would be articles about them in their studios. And magazines were a form of entertainment, mostly in the Midwest, and there was no TV then.
2: Right, right.
1: It's changed now. I think the artists are almost anonymous, except for a tiny little credit, maybe in the six-point type in magazines. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we, we are not the stars anymore. It's interesting, but there's still, I'm sure, many, many great jobs out there that probably I don't even know about now. Right. But we... We started wanting to be in uh, advertising, but uh, after working in it for a while, we found that it didn't offer the creativity that we wanted. When we started working in advertising, we found that a lot of times we had directions as to what to do because the advertising agency had already taken an idea to a client and had come back with sketches even sometimes. And so when they gave it to us, they really wanted us to make their idea a reality. We did a number of uh, pieces that we knew, you know, pencils that we knew... We could have done something much better, but they wanted a specific thing. So there wasn't the creativity that we wanted in advertising. Right. And so uh, after a while, first of all, as young illustrators and young professionals, when we got out and graduated and started working, we took anything that came in Um, Just to stay alive, Uh, we we would um, take in uh, book jackets, typography jobs. We would, you know, album covers or book jackets or advertising or whatever. Right. Just to keep going. So it was important to to do whatever we could do, and we learned through that.
0: We said album covers. Is there any particular one that was your favorite?
1: Not really. You know, it's it's hard. Usually our favorite was the one we were working on. Um, <laughs> Good answer. So but the wonderful thing about working on different jobs is that uh, you never get bored. We always have something. Every job was a new job, new challenge. So we never were bored working uh, and accepting the challenges that came with
0: it. Right. So then, did you do a lot of um, illustration for Harlan Ellison?
1: Oh, yes. We met Harlan very early in our career. He had seen some of our work and called us. He was, he, he was working at a publisher's.
2: Uh-huh. But
1: he asked if we'd do some covers for him, and we started with that. And we met him finally years later when he came to New York. And actually, he stayed with us. It was supposed to be for a few days, but it ended up being several weeks. (laughs) So we really got to know him pretty well, and we worked with him. Then that was fun. We had a project that we did that we thought up while he was there where he would sit with a typewriter and type out a story, and then we'd illustrate it, or we would illustrate Something we'd do something in black and white and hand it to him, and he'd type up a story in about five minutes, wow, then we would do a book with illustrated short stories, but then he went to California and on the way, I think that he sold these things in order to get him to uh, California, <laughs> so it never became a book,
2: yeah,
0: yeah, now it was noticed that like you working with your husband, with, with Leo, that your work was seamless. Did you actually do the same artwork together?
1: Yes, we did. It wasn't seamless at the beginning because when we met in high school, we were bitter competitors. We saw each other's work before we even met, and I saw his work and thought, you know, I this is the person I have to compete with, and he's he saw something that I had done and asked who had done it and saw me and said, you know, she's the one I have to be. <laughs> so we started out as competitors, and during um, one season, the the class moved, and I sat next to him, and we became friends, and then the um, idea of working together was Born When he got a job, we were still in Parsons, and he had gotten a, a job doing a poster and asked if I would come over and help him do a silkscreen for it, and uh, so we that was the first time we worked together before we got married, even. But after we got married, there's still... We knew that if we each had a career separately, that... It, wouldn't work. The marriage probably wouldn't last very long. So, we decided to join forces and work together. And when we were first married, I was a housewife, the way I was supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Leo
1: got a job at uh, West Park Publishers. And uh, he was editor of a magazine called The Pope and Easter.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So, I was home uh, making hors d'oeuvres for him when he got home because he'd be so upset having to go through rush hour and come home and he'd be in a terrible mood. So after about uh, just a few months, we decided to freelance and at that point, we decided we are going to work together. So we did. We had a small apartment with just three rooms, so the middle room... and each room was kind of smaller, about 10 feet by 11 feet, or the front room was about 12, 12 feet by 10 feet. So we um, had this tiny little um, center room, which should have been a bedroom, but we turned it into our, our studio and our drawing boards were facing each other. And that was about all that would fit into the room with our tablereyes. We worked together from that time on.
0: Wow, that's a that's a great story. And then, so when did you start doing the actual pieces uh, concurrently? Like, in, where you went from having your 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 illustration pads facing each other to actually being the same?
2: So
1: we we could copy each other, but we each had our own strengths and weaknesses, so it took a while to get used to working together, and we started with woodcuts because that seemed simpler. We did a lot of woodcuts at the beginning, black and white, and that way uh, we had kind of a line to hold us in so that we each knew what our borders were, and we we could work together that way. If one did the drawing, the other one could ink in. And so we started with very simple things like that, basically, and learned to pass the work back and forth. And we developed a way of working where we would do thumbnails because when we would talk to each other... One person would be explaining something, the other one would be nodding as though they knew exactly what they were saying. But when it started to go down on paper, we realized we each had different visions in our minds, even though we were agreeing with the words. So we started (laughs) talking about our ideas and doing little thumbnails, so that we understood what the, each other were, was talking about. And from there, with one, did the pencil, then the other one would start the finishes, and then we would pass the finishes back and forth. And it was not really a, a problem after a while, but it did take some years. It was There were times when one of us would feel that the other one had painted over our best parts, <laughs> you know. Leo, Leo liked to stay up all night, and I was a day person, so when I was sleeping, he'd be working on a job, and then when he was sleeping, I'd be working on it. So we both had to learn that whatever we got, whatever came to us at that point, we could continue on, but not to try to take it back to what we originally had in our in our minds so that was the learning process that we we would take the job as it was and then work from
0: that wow that's amazing because i know that there's there are definitely teams out there and there's various philosophies how to work as teams we have an article coming out this year in volume 36 about writing teams but this is this is fascinating on um Art, artistic teams of uh, illustration and um, and painting. So this is this is very very helpful.
1: So yeah, yeah. when we, we got a job with Budweiser, and they were large paintings. We decided to do this up large, and we had a the canvas on the easel, and we sat side by side. And we both worked on the painting. The drawing was done. We would both be painting, but our brush strokes were really different. Leo did
2: what he
1: called a scumble, and I did strokes. So we would paint for a couple of hours and then change seats and work over each other's work to blend the styles so that it looked like one person had painted it.
0: Wow. That's just amazing to me. That, it's so good to have also that kind of a relationship to be able to do that. Because at that point, when you're in creativity like that, and it's just it's, it's you pouring yourself into whatever that is, that's so much trust you have to have in your partner to be able to, I would think, to be able to do that and pull it off.
1: Well, trust is a good word. It did take us some time through that learning process to trust each other. and
2: yeah.
1: uh, so, But it was also very helpful to have four eyes instead of two, uh, where one of us would see something like an arm that was too long. And, of course, we would get, uh, you know, the hair would prickle on the back of our neck as if somebody's uh, criticizing our work, but um, it was good in the long run because it caught things like that that otherwise we might not have seen. Because when you're working up close on something, you're not really seeing it. Sometimes it's good to get back away from it or get even, even away from the piece for a while and yeah. come back and look at it. With the, also, the trick of looking at it through a mirror where you, you know, hold hold the mirror up. And with your back to the painting and look at it through the mirror, sometimes you can see things that you don't see to, uh, when you're looking straight at the work. So, those were helpful. It was always helpful for us in the long run, but we, you know, sometimes get pretty pissed off at each other. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that sounds pretty good. That sounds real.
1: <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Yeah. Little bit of a jump here now. So, how did you originally get involved with the Illustrators of the Future contest? I had assumed it was Kelly Fries, but I, I actually don't know.
1: I was uh, president of the Society of Illustrators at the time and was aware of work for hire and fairness in art. Uh, a lot of businesses were trying to get freelancers to do work for hire, which means that you don't really own your own artwork if the person that buys the art owns the art, and uh, the copyright. So, when we read the rules for judging for the writers and illustrators of the future, we were really impressed with the fact that you not only gave young artists the ability to be printed, which is very important, because young artists need printed work in their portfolio to show that they can do a job professionally. yeah and, um, and you didn't keep the copyright. The rules were really so fair that we thought we should
0: do it. Now we're very glad you did. yeah Kelly was was instrumental. I mean he really enjoyed working. He illustrated several images for L. Ron Hubbard. And so when he was asked to come on board to uh, be the coordinating judge, uh, he jumped at because he really, you know, appreciated that exact point that you that you're talking about there. Like the, the artist is important, and it's not something that's relegated to six point mm-hmm. type. Right. So, what do you see as the future of illustration at this point now? From your, you know, from having gone through a whole long period of of evolution of illustration and
1: art. Yeah. A different world now. I'm not even sure I know of all of the possibilities or jobs that are available for young artists at this point in the digital world. It's like a, a revolution and we're in the middle of it and technology changes quickly that I really I don't know. I think that I feel sad in a way that there, a lot of the artwork originals uh, will be prints rather than the original art, but that's the way of the world now. So I, I really don't know how it's going to go. It's just changed so fast. When we first started, we could go with our portfolio to see an editor or art director in person and sit there while they look through the portfolio. Uh, now everything is done over the... The Internet, a lot of it, and sometimes you never even meet an editor or director in person. You send the artwork to them through the Internet and um, don't have to go into the publishers at all, which is great in a way because you can be just about anywhere now in, in the United States and work, whereas it was really important to be in New York where the publishers were, when we started, we had to go in and see them and meet
0: them and talk with them and deliver the work, whereas now it's a entirely different world. Yeah. One plus on this, though, is with which we've experienced now with the contests, we have winners this year from Tehran, Iran, and from Bursa, Turkey, as well as from United Kingdom. Australia. So there's that aspect is it the world gets a lot smaller because of the internet and artists like our, our artists our winner from uh, Iran he's not able to come to the United States but we're able to do a video with him that will be played at the uh, award ceremony and it's we're able to for those artists that are not able to uh, exist in an environment which supports art they can get that recognition they would not otherwise get that's
1: that's wonderful yeah
2: exciting
0: yeah it is exciting he was very excited that he's going to you know be in this international book now you know any particular other tips or suggestions for artists getting started out or who are maybe frustrated at what to do um because even though you're not so much in the uh, current fray, you went through a period as well, because it was, you know, prior to the magazines and uh, and that type of replications, Everybody seen the art, it had been galleries, you know, people would do their paintings, and it'd be up in somebody's home or in some uh, art gallery, and then it became a new world with magazines printing pieces of art that were shown everywhere. So, you know, you went through your own Art revolution back then. So, any particular tips or advice you would have for aspiring well, artists?
1: For one thing, if they're going to be freelancers, it's quite different than going out and getting a job in a publisher with a publisher or a business somewhere. Right. And with freelancing, during the time we grew up, they never wanted to mention money or business, in the same sentence as art, in the art schools. So when we started, we had our materials and our two drawing boards, and we thought we were ready. But in reality, we were really starting a business. We knew nothing about negotiating. We knew nothing about bookkeeping, keep our records straight. We didn't know what the pricing was. So we had to learn the hard way and there were times when we billed someone twice and that really hurt because we'd already spent the money and the publisher realizes that they had paid us twice and we had to pay them back one of the payments, things like that. So I think that young artists who are going to freelance need to think of themselves as going into a business and to know how to negotiate and keep their records well. And the Graphic Artists Guild has books that they put out, Pricing and Ethical Guidelines, that I think is, is good for anyone to look at. And it's not written in stone exactly how much you should charge, but it gives you some kind of an idea of what you should charge and also the ethical things that you should know about your business. And I, I, th- I think that that's very important.
0: That's actually uh, something that several of our winners have talked about where they, they've they got the, the art part down, but the actual business part has been very poorly, if at all, covered or addressed in uh, art school. Yeah,
1: that's too bad, I think. It's a, it's a mistake. I think they do a lot better now. I know Parsons has a good course in business. Yeah, it's it's a very important.
0: Yeah. Any other particular um, suggestions or thoughts to aspiring artists, based on the principle that the contest is created to provide that inspiration to keep on going and to and to persist as arts because the artist actually projects the future of, of a society, you know, where you see that all the time in movies when somebody designs a new set or new costume, a new hat, that that becomes the new style or fashion. So it's the artist that, that creates that. So any particular suggestions or thoughts for, you know, the aspiring artist uh, on terms of persistence?
1: Well, yes, I think that you have to love what you're doing enough to go through hard times. There were times when we had biscuits and tea for three days because we didn't have any money. When you're working, the jobs come in uneven, and there are times when there's a lot of space in between where no checks are coming in and you have to make do. So it's important to love what you do and know that what you're doing, the sacrifices you are taking are for something that you love and that is important in society. You go through the hard times. There was a period uh, early on when we were really starving where I went out and got a job at Nancy's in the art department. And uh, I was supposed to start the next Monday and Leo said, Well, what if, a, what if a job came in and then you're working? He said, This is crazy. And so he said, Call him up and tell him you're not coming. And so I did. And we went through the hard times anyway. And jobs did come in and I was there to work with him.
0: Wow. That's good. So it was just you decided, That's it. We're well, going to make this work. It. And you're just that dedicated. You're right. that dedicated.
1: We're just going to make it work.
0: Last year, received the Lifetime Achievement Award. So tell me about that, what that was uh, like, getting the, the Chesley Lifetime Achievement Award.
1: Well, that was quite an honor. I know that years, a number of years earlier, we had gotten it together. Leo and I had gotten the Chesley Award. But it's very meaningful because it's from a group of artists themselves. So I, I, we, we really appreciated that. The, you know, it's very meaningful to have your peers give you an award. Yeah. They, you know, they really know what they're looking at.
0: That's for sure. And then, were you able to be there for the award? No,
1: no. In fact, I didn't even know about it until someone mentioned it just recently. And uh, I looked it up and then I saw my name there. Then, uh, not too long ago, I got an email that apologized for not being able to get in touch with me sooner and um, wanted our address so that uh, they could send the uh, award to me. And I just received it about a couple of weeks ago.
0: Wow, that's great. I mean, it's definitely quite an honor. And the Chesley's is, like you said, it's uh, it's a recognition by peers. It was
1: quite an honor.
0: So as we uh, come close to the end of this interview... I um, we know we've talked about a lot of things, but is there anything in particular you would like to relay to other artists or anything in particular about the contest itself, its value? Writers and the illustrators of the future Contest, Now we're we're into year thirty-six, and it's going strong. We've it just each year there's more and more entries, and we've got entries from over one hundred and seventy-five countries now. So, anything in particular you'd like to say?
1: Well. I... One of the things that we always felt was that we wanted to use a lot of different techniques because to us as artists was the same as words are to a writer that if you have a great idea in your head, you need to know how to best get that idea down on paper. Your techniques and the style are your way of getting that idea out on paper. And if you're doing something that's very designed and needs sharp edges, you might want to do it in frisket, which has that sharp edge. Or maybe it the job calls for a free painting. But whatever it is, if you have a lot of techniques at your fingertips, you'll be able to do express yourself visually. On paper. Some editors or art directors feel that you should have one style or one technique to use so it's easier for them to know who to call when they have a particular job, uh, but I think an artist should have more ability to have variety and express themselves in the freer way.
0: That makes good sense. And it also that diversity makes it possible to be a resource. If if a job comes up, can you do blog to be able to say yes? Right. That makes very good sense. Well, thank you very much, Diane. It's been a real pleasure being able to speak with you today.
1: Yes, I did. I enjoyed our conversation greatly. And um, it was nice talking with you, too.
0: Great. And thank you all you listeners out there, too, for listening the Writers of the Future is a contest that was created by Elron Hubbard in 1984 to provide a means for aspiring writers, and a few years later, the Illustrators of the Future was created for the aspiring artists as well. Because, um, as many times been pointed out by our judges, it is very much a symbiotic relationship between writing and illustration. So um, you can tune in and listen to it, and we have uh, all types of professional writers and artists, past winners and a few surprise guests. So, again, thank you very much for listening, and thank you, Diane.
1: Thank you, too. It was a a joy talking with you.